What's up, friends? Welcome to Brad is a Bad Person. We're talking about philosophy this season, and we've taken a break from ethics recently, but uh, this episode, we're back on the horse. So, if you remember from our last ethics episode, Brad and Lachlan both said that they would kill a stranger for money, so (laughs) make sure you set your morality bar pretty low for this episode. Uh, My name is Morgan, I'm your host, and I'm joined, as always, by two bad people. How are we tonight, guys? Are we feeling ethical? (laughs) I like that uh, throughout this season, the first episode you said I was a good person, and I've just slowly (laughs) slowly degenerated. Uh, I'm a full-on bad person. (laughs) You slid. You slid. Welcome to the dark side. We're seeing your descent into hell in real time. It's very interesting. (laughs) I'm I'm good as well. Do you have anything extra to say, like usual, Brad? Or? No, no, I'm very self-conscious now, so I'm just stopping it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, excellent. Um, so we could get right into it, but um, Lachlan has come up with a new segment that we're going to start off the show with. Of course, this uh, <laughs> after oh the uh, raging success of Morgan's movie review, Lachlan wants to do his own segment, which is called. Crack and open a cold one with the boys. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, Lachlan, do you want to describe the segment? Uh, so, basically, I'm going to be, each, each episode, I'm going to be trying out a new beer, and uh, I'm going to be giving my thoughts, uh, going to give, give a review on it for the listeners. So, it's a real-time beer review. Real time, as it happens. Okay, so you, you have you Boots have yet to the open the beer, is that what you're telling me? I have the beer in my hand, Okay, as you'll see. Well, it's a podcast, it's a not a visual medium, <laughs> so the audience won't see, but you guys will see. Uh, it is still closed. Okay, well, All right, he's are, gonna... are you going gonna to crack it? Ah, let, let us handle this, Brad. Um... Oh, okay, fuck you. <laughs> Lachlan's going to be cracking it open, which is part of the segment, of course, but uh, let's get to know it. What's the beer called, Lachlan? What's the name? Uh, so the beer I have this week is Estrella Dam. Excellent. Where's the? Uh, where's it from? It's from uh, Barcelona. Oh, my in, God. Uh, España. <laughs> I fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's Barcelona, Spain, for those of you who don't, uh, <laughs> who don't speak, speak Spanish. Speak Espanol. <laughs> um, what's the style of beer? Uh, it is a, a well. It's a lager. Uh, the fun fact about beers: all beers can be split. Uh, they're defined as either a lager or an ale. Sure. Uh, however, 
if you want to get technical, this is a Pilsner. Oh, oh. interesting. Love a good Pilsner. What's the uh, alcohol percentage? Uh, it is 4.6% alcohol. Okay. Excellent. Uh, which right, makes lucky. this bottle 1.2 standard drinks. Okay. Excellent. All right, crack it open and give us your review. All right, let's do it. Oh, there we go. Oh, love that sound. He's drinking it. I can get oh, yeah. <laughs> Clucking. <sighs> Didn't even swirl it around, mate. You do the fancy swirl. Mm, yeah. It's alright. <laughs> alright, well, thanks, Lachlan. Thanks for uh, cracking open a cold one with the boys. Look forward to that uh, next episode as well. Okay, so. Me too. <laughs> so retarded. Come on, bro. Uh, Professionals here. So, in, in this episode, we're going to be. Um, talking about global ethics uh which will cross over a bit with another branch of philosophy which is politics so that should be fun uh we'll talk about the ethics of global inequality environmental sustainability and uh everyone's favorite topic child labor so um this is all very topical right now no, is it? Why is it topical? Well, because, you know, for the last 60, 70, 100 years, no one's cared about the environment or child labor. <laughs> <laughs> but now they do. Um, right, I, I would like to start this episode, though, with a discussion about Peter Singer's drowning child thought experiment and his idea of the expanding circle. So, Peter Singer is an Australian philosopher, and he's known for his strong views on animal rights and his controversial views on infanticide. He's a darling of the far left, but let's not hold that against him. Um, his, thought about, his thought experiment about the drowning child, as he presents it to his university students, goes like this. Imagine that your route to university takes you past a shallow pond. One morning you notice a child has fallen in and appears to be drowning. To wade in and pull the child out would be easy, but it would mean that you get your clothes wet and muddy and you'll miss your first class. Uh, so Peter Singer wrote this as a retelling of what usually happens in his philosophy class when he proposes this thought experiment. And uh, he asks his students three questions. So let's go through those questions in order. We'll do it quickly and then we'll discuss the whole thought experiment. So Number one, do you have any obligation to rescue the child? Bradley, would you save this kid? Yes. Lachlan? Uh, I would, yes. Excellent. Uh, that seems yeah. like a pretty straightforward Sorry, I question. Would, I would attempt to save. <laughs> you, uh, you always accuse me of leading you into a trap, Brad, but Peter Singer's doing it here, obviously. You, you have yeah. to save the child. It's immoral not to save him. So, number two, does it make a difference if there are other people walking past the pond who would equally be able to rescue the child but are not doing so? Lachlan, it's clear that he's uh, leading the witness here, but let's answer it anyway. Does it matter that no one else is acting? Uh, that is irrelevant to your own actions. All right, Bradley? Yeah, I would say that's irrelevant. Although, sure. maybe the people not doing anything know something that I don't. Maybe that kid <laughs> is like a serial killer or something. Yeah, I was going to say like baby maybe. Hitler or something. <laughs> maybe it's baby Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not saving him on purpose. <laughs> Maybe, uh, yeah. you know, he's he's like an um, YouTuber on the internet, and when you go to get him, he's like, it's just a prank, bro, it's just a prank. <laughs> oh, that is definitely more likely. Oh. It gets uploaded on the internet as uh, Pond Rescue, Gone Wrong, Gone Wild, Gone Sexual. <laughs> gone Sexual? And everyone else walking past. Everyone, In the hood. Everyone else walking past is like, that's just Logan Paul. Like, and we're, we're jumping in and saving him and getting our Nikes. All wet and stuff. Well, that wouldn't um, be the worst thing Logan Paul's done. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, okay, so obviously there's safety in numbers, 
And uh, you could escape the blame by just saying, oh, no one else is doing anything. So you can't just blame me. You have to blame everybody. But Peter Singh is mm. right. Like you, Other people being jerks doesn't make it okay for you to be a jerk too. It just means you're a conformist as well as a jerk. So Yeah, you're all, all responsible. Yeah. Yep. All right. So number three, would it make any difference if the child were far away in another country, perhaps, but similarly in danger of death and equally within your means to save at no great cost and absolutely no danger to yourself? Bradley, do you care about... <laughs> well, he has not made a leap at all there, has he? Brad, do you care as much about people from other countries as you care about Australians? No. <laughs> 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 that was a lot easier to get out of than I thought it was going to be. I, I think in our personal lives, we've had this discussion, especially um, as it relates to like terrorist incidents um, in the Western world. You know, there, there's a million of these going down all the time, and your, your immediate sphere of what you experience, people you um, identify with, that sort of uh, that affects you. Not, you know, yes, okay, so there's kids in Ethiopia dying every day, but I'd rather concentrate on my problems on my doorstep. Um, right. Well, Peter, Peter. Yeah addresses that that's called the um what he calls the expanding circle so there's this Mm -hmm. idea that like everybody everybody is first preoccupied with themselves and then the people around them so in their household in their immediate family and then after that their extended family and then their small community and then maybe their their county and then the state and then the country and then the other countries that are similar to your country so even where they were in australia we might feel closer to uh frenchmen than um like you said an ethiopian or something so that expands and then eventually it encompasses the whole world but peter singh is saying like look we live in this globalized society now where you can contact anybody at the speed of light you know so do we have to abide by this expanding circle rule like he's kind of trying to present it as if it's not inevitable we can we can change that and we don't have to obey by this idea of the expanding circle Lachlan what do you think about that I I disagree you disagree in what way uh, I disagree with the the whole premise if you can like if you're saying the reason you need to care for everyone is because you can contact everyone you can't contact an Ethiopian they haven't got fucking computers (laughs) if they had money for computers they'd have money for for food, you know, uh, <laughs> it's it's. I don't want to come across as a nationalist, but fuck all the other countries. Why don't you uh, want to come across as be, a nationalist? Because <laughs> I don't think nationalism is a good thing. Uh, I I don't think we have any duty whatsoever to worry about anyone outside our borders. All right, so we're going to get even, to that even within our borders. <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get to that in a minute. So I'll just um I'll just defend Peter Singer's position here because I'm, I'm not sure mm. I represented it perfectly correctly. Then it's not about being able to um, contact an Ethiopian or something. But he was saying in the past, if you heard about a natural disaster that occurred on the other side of the world, by mm-hmm. the time that news reached you, the issue was already over. But now it's you can read about it five minutes after it happened on Twitter and you can PayPal over some money or something. So, it, like, it's not about... Um, there's no there's no barrier to being able to help people in other countries now. Well, no, not as I, much I of think, a barrier. I think he's wrong. In what way? Well, I mean, it, yeah, certainly it's easier than it has been in the past, but at the same time, the, helping someone in, you know, a war-torn country is not easy because the money or the resources or whatever that you can provide to them isn't necessarily going to them. It's not making, making it to the small kid you see on the ad crying or in the news article who's covered in mud and whatever it, it's going to an think, african warlord peter, or something like that. the infrastructure to help people isn't there like it is in the western world so, i think peter singer's hypothetical is um you know you're not it, it's like all these thought experiments you're not supposed to think about the what ifs or what 
have you. It's, you know, imagine that the money is going directly to that yes, child welfare. Yeah, okay, in a perfect hypothetical maybe, but I'm just saying that realistically it's not. It's not. So in a perfect hypothetical, would you help the Ethiopian? Uh, I'd start helping the people closer to me and work my way out. I'm just being honest. You'd abide I think by, by the circle. idea of the expanding circle? Yes, correct. Right, so you you just... sort out your problems at home before you can start trying to save the world. Right, so I'll just finish up what Peter Singer uh, wrote about this. So he wrote, uh, we are all in the situation of the person passing the shallow pond we can all save lives of people both children and adults who would otherwise die and we could do so at a very small cost to us the cost of a new cd a shirt or a night out at a restaurant or concert can mean the difference between life and death to more than one person somewhere in the world and overseas agencies like oxfam overcome the problem of acting at a distance and he acknowledges those practical concerns and he just says that even if only a small proportion of the money does get to the intended target then it's still worth doing because you're still getting something to them even if it's only what about if the small proportion is zero and it's all going to an african warlord <laughs> who's buying who arms who's buying arms and making the situation worse i think peter singh is being moronic to be fair <laughs> like isn't that what the whole Coney 2012 thing was about? Uh, funding Kobe so he could buy more child soldiers? <laughs> yeah, I, No, I, I think um, he's oversimplified this to the max. And, like, you can say, oh, yeah, if a small amount of it trickles down to... But what if zero trickles down to it and you're just funding another civil war in Rwanda? The idea of the thought experiment is to be simplified to the extreme over No, no I, I'm saying I, Peter I disagree Singer with you. Has, I it's all about principle. I disagree with you here, Lachlan, because this isn't just... Well, you're incorrect. <laughs> this isn't just an... <laughs> This isn't just an abstract thought experiment that he's presenting. He's saying yeah, exactly. this is a reason why you should give money. And it, you could say, sure, I would give money if these conditions were met. But you do have to meet those conditions to actually give money. So if it's just a, uh, an abstract thought experiment, like yes, no, would you? Yes, no. That's fine. But if you're if you're being called to action, you have to get into the nitty gritty and you know the little details and figure out if it's actually worth doing. Yeah, and I don't agree with it. I want to help people when... I can, but I also don't feel like funding a civil war in another country. Right, welcome. Yeah. So if you can give me guarantees, I'll I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do my no, best. I disagree. <laughs> I don't I don't have an obligation to help uh, anybody outside my immediate circle, my immediate zone of influence. Right. So this is uh, ethics, obviously. So do you have a moral obligation to help people? A moral obligation. Yeah. We're talking about ethics, so let's talk about morality. Do you have a moral obligation to a child who is starving to death in uh, Ethiopia? Let's just stick with that country. We'll just really get into them. <laughs> um, Sorry to no. all our Ethiopian listeners who have a full belly and are wondering what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the shit on Ethiopia era. So that's, that's I uh, I don't know. I, I have a hard time defending my stance. Well, do you think it's just because uh, you don't really see the um, results of money you give, for example? I don't think so. Um, because even, even charities close to home, I still, I still don't feel that I'm morally obligated to give money to, and I can see the results of them. Interesting. Mm. So we'll, we'll get into mm. a bit more about, um, uh, politics. So yeah, we'll get to that. But I, I had a little critique of, um, this thought experiment. So like Peter Singer just says that you can give money and that will save a life, but he doesn't actually talk about how it will save a yeah. life. Like if you donate $50 and that feeds a family in Ethiopia for like a week, what happens the next week? It's not like you donate $50 and that saves a life and then you donate more and that saves another life. It's not just a yeah. simple transaction. Like if, if it was, everyone would do it, I think. So, 
Sorry. And you'd also know the cost of a life in Ethiopia. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what your argument here is the don't feed the ducks sign down at the uh, park. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> because they become dependent on being fed and they don't go out and look for their own food. That is an interesting way to look at there it. There is definitely... You're probably not entirely wrong there. Yeah. There's definitely a more careful way to phrase that, but the, <laughs> the general, the general idea was... kind of does make sense because... Um, hmm. Yeah. I thought it was graceful. Welcome. Thank you. Bro. Well, yeah, I, I was looking this up and I I found out that um it it could it, it, you can make a pretty strong argument that foreign aid just doesn't really work. Like mm. um I mean, obviously if I think if it worked, it would be solved by now or at least we'd see some promising results. So I'm not saying we can't fix it, but what we're doing now mm. obviously doesn't work. Like you can't just throw money at a problem and expect it to fix itself like um it doesn't uh, increase growth in a country or improve quality of life. So, um, yeah, I'm not... You're giving a man a fish, not teaching a man. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess so. Because, like, it, it does save lives, you know, through vaccination and better healthcare. But mm. then, like you guys are saying, you have to consider what happens in the future. If, you, if you're saving lives of people in a country, but you're not increasing standards of living in that country, or you're not, you know, growing their economy, that yeah. just means there are more people living in poor areas with no infrastructure. So, there's got to be a long-term solution. You can't just... They can't be dependent on foreign aid forever. That's not sustainable and it's not a good way for them to you know run their country either so it's not good for them so like mm. if you want to give money to a foreign country you need to make sure it's going to projects that are going to help people there become self-sufficient you know electricity water yeah hunting or farming agriculture you know. education yeah you can't just go like here's 20 bucks i'm here i saved a life you actually have to yeah. empower people to become self-reliant mm. and i'm sorry i just yeah i mean power, but <laughs> it seemed appropriate so. <laughs> are you always saying because you yeah, you can just drop off bags of grain to people, you know, through Oxfam or whatever, you know, airlifting these bags of grain. But you're right. Like, what what happens a week down the track when they run out? You know, they're relying on another bag of grain showing up, and if it doesn't, they die. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, you need to be teaching them, you know, agriculture skills, how to, how to work the land. And, I mean, if it's an arid area or something that they can't grow food, you know, maybe other other ways to, to sustain themselves. I, I, I don't know. I, again, I'm not smart enough to – I don't have all the answers. Clearly, no one does, but, you know, certainly. Yeah not funding civil wars like that's like a lot of these charities and and people who want to do aid work have to play ball with local you know warlords or whatever whoever's in power at the time militias and corrupt yeah, exactly and like just whoever's got the biggest guns in the area hmm. and then if that they they get you know deposed or something like that then they're back at square one and i'm not saying these people are bad people the charity workers you know they're doing the best in a shitty situation but you know throwing money at them and it all going to waste or you know it, it's not going to meet it's not going to meet reach the kid on the ad is what I my fundamental um, disagreement with the whole system is I don't know do you think the kid on the ad gets paid for being on the ad <laughs> no they just die <laughs> like well you've got to find a kid close to death to sell it you know <laughs> <laughs> it's like that South Park episode where Cartman does the anti-smoking ad and then they say they have to kill him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he breathed in too much secondhand smoke and if he doesn't die, then the ad won't make sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the other thing with Peter Singer is that he, he goes like $20 will save a Like, well, he says new CD, new shirt, go out for dinner, go to a concert. Um, that sounds like $20 to me. Like CD, shirt, dinner, concert, $20, $30, whatever. Um, yeah. But there are 7 billion people on the planet, and if I do mm -hmm. some um, Big Shack style quick maths, $20 <laughs> per person is $140 billion. 
Sounds like a lot. But in just one year, 2014, I got stats on, governments in the world gave over $250 billion in global aid. And that doesn't even include private donations from individuals. That's just from governments. So something's not adding up. If it only cost $20 to save a life, then governments gave enough money in 2014 to save 12.5 billion people. So, And it's hard to get numbers on private donations, but in the US, citizens gave more than... 30, like every year they give more than $34 billion in um, mm. overseas aid. So, according <laughs> overseas aid, <laughs> they don't give aid. Um, <laughs> maybe they do. That's a conspiracy episode. We should do that. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, $34 billion per year um, from private citizens in America. So, according to Peter Singer, every year US citizens save one quarter of the planet. One point seven billion, one point seven five billion lives every year. So, mm. I mean that it's obviously not a simple transaction that twenty dollars saves a life. And if so, yeah. there would be no issue because we give like as as a world, as governments, as private individuals, we give way way more than twenty dollars per person. Yeah. So it's yeah. obviously obviously something's not adding up. And like we talked about, you need to um, build infrastructure and um, help people become. Self-reliant and stuff. I don't know if you guys seen a, um, a documentary. I've talked to Brad about it. I don't know about you, Lachlan, but it's called um, Empire of Dust, and it's about a um, the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> They're helping set up um, train lines in the Congo to try to um, yeah, it's it's like a bad deal, but a good deal in a way. Like the, the people in the Congo get a lot of jobs out of it, but the Chinese government gets a lot of their resources and stuff. And it, yeah, yeah. it's just about this guy. It follows this Chinese guy who's working for the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party, and him trying to do business in the Congo. And it's just impossible because like, every time he wants something done, he has to call a guy, and then that guy calls his guy, and then that guy calls another <laughs> guy, and then he gets people from this village, and it's just mm. super corrupt and like the, the there's so many channels to go through to get one little thing done and there's this famous clip from it where the Chinese guy just says it's all so tiresome and he, his face just looks totally defeated because he just he can't get people to help to work on something and it's just <laughs> stuff like that it's hard to mm. um yeah it, you think it's, about it they're, they're throwing money at infrastructure and nobody can get on board it's like clearly they don't give a shit about their own country yeah they just want to get there they just want to protect their immediate sphere which you know might be family or themselves of course yeah so yeah, it's and like, they don't give a shit about improving the entire country so it's it's a hard situation to fix yeah so it's like if if peter singer says hey give 20 dollars and save someone's life that's an easier sell than saying hey watch this documentary and figure out how to help the people in the congo because the chinese communist party is having a really tough time trying to <laughs> trying to do it <laughs> trying to moment. build infrastructure there yeah yeah it's it's not it's not just give 20 dollars and save a life if it was you know th- there would have been be, fixed there wouldn't be an issue yeah so it's it's yeah. a, extremely oversimplified and i don't know if you guys mm. will agree with me about this but i think it's there's also this idea of trying to civilize the rest of the world like the mm. the french people they used to call it um mission civilizastrous or something civilizing mission and it was the idea that europeans had this moral duty to bring their ideas and their systems and technology to the uncivilized people of the world in in goddamn colonizers in particular (laughs) africa like they felt guilty about their relative wealth and luxury like we're over here with all our wealth and technology and they're poor and backwards they need our help and um, yeah, like in America, they called it manifest destiny when they were pushing westward, which is an awesome phrase, by the way. But just that yeah. they they had the best ideas and they were 
the smartest and had great technology and systems. And if they if they went to a place where other people were, the other people would be benefited by their their presence because they they were obviously mm. um, smart and everything. So it, it's like it's the idea that we need to save the rest of the world and they need to live like us. And it's funny that that's it's still the mainstream opinion now, but it's kind of people kind of sneak their way out of it by saying, "Oh no, it's because we have to make up for all the horrible things when that we did in the past." But they still have the same mm. opinion. You know yeah. what it's like? What's it like? That, that whole situation is like the guy who gives CPR to someone and then gets sued for breaking his ribs. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's like. That's what it's like. He's just yeah. trying to help. Yeah. And then, and then he just cops shit for trying to do what he thought was the right thing. <laughs> is mm. it that simple of it? <laughs> Yes, yes it is. Open and shut argument. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, let's do our own thought experiment. Do you think it would be helpful? I know you guys are running the episode here, but if we just completely stopped helping them. Would it be helpful if we stopped helping them? No, you know what I mean. Like, would it be more <laughs> beneficial to them for us to completely stop helping them? I understand what you mean, Brad. I would yeah, say... Yeah, to withdraw in, all in, aid and force In the them. long run, in the long term, yeah. yes. In the short term, definitely not. I was going to say the exact same thing. Short term, disastrous, yeah. but long term, well, clearly we've, we've been for the long term. We've been, you know, just channeling money into this, and it's not working. So maybe we should go with it. Short term disaster, long term self reliance. <laughs> it's a pretty, you can't, pretty you, tough. You sell. can't do it. It's a trap. Millions of people would die. It's yeah, a but pretty tough sell, Brent. Yeah, but when they come out the other side, they'll be better <laughs> off for it. <laughs> the ones who survive will be hard Darwinism. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think it's getting to that point. Just throwing money at the situation isn't working. I think. I think. The real issue that people need to grapple with and figure out is how how we view the past. And if we decide that people in the past had good intentions and they fucked it up, like in terms of colonization and everything like that, or if they had bad intentions and um, everything went the way they thought it was. Because I think that's the real issue that we face now. Because I think the only way you can still say that we should be involved in the rest of the world and trying to civilize the rest of the world is that... You have to imagine that the people in the past had nefarious reasons for doing it, but now we're compassionate and we're enlightened and this time we're actually going to make it work. So, but yeah, like people look to the past and think like they, they did it so poorly and um, we're going to do it properly this time and then everything's going to go as planned. Nairobi's going to look like New York City and the Africans are going to go like, oh, we forgive you and it's all going to be wonderful and stuff, but it just doesn't seem... That's not going to work. Well, it doesn't seem... This is like that movie Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem yeah. consistent to me, like either... Like, the Europeans had good intentions in the past and still fucked it up, in which case we shouldn't assume that our good intentions now will automatically make for a successful intervention, or they had bad intentions in the past, and then it's up to us now to explain why we think we're so enlightened today that we won't have any um, problems with issues. yeah with human nature, that we're going to be purely altruistic this time, and we're not going to be yeah. selfish, we're not going to be selfish or be greedy, but it's all going to be different this time. Because I think you really have to be sure that what you're going to, like, when you're going to interfere with something, that you're going to be able to make it better. And that happens mm. on a micro scale when it comes to your friends and families. Like, you don't want to get involved in someone's relationship or someone's business unless you really believe that you're going to help them because um, you could just make it worse. And it's true on a macro scale when it comes to military intervention or economic intervention in another country. So you can't just put on your blinders and say, like, oh, I have good intentions, so nothing's going to go wrong. Mm. 
I think if you, I don't know, this is just my opinion, but if you're trying to change the way a country operates, you cannot do it just by sending money and saying, this is how we think you should do it, blah, blah, blah. I think that the only way it's worked in the past, and this is why colonization was so successful, is you have to completely occupy the country, change everything from the grass, like from the roots up, and then say, this is how we operate now. Uh, you're a part of us, like the colonizers did. And the, I, I feel like all the problems were when, you know, the UK started pulling out of um, places like the British Empire. I started pulling out of places like you know yeah Australia definitely suffered when uh, the Brits left okay so well <laughs> look, look at Egypt you know all these like India stuff like that countries that were um, occupied under colonial occupation that, that flourished while the British Empire was running them and then as they pulled out they sort of just gone the other way I'm not saying it happened in every country but a lot of them well yeah you because can they didn't you can make a case for that but like at yeah. the same time it's like would you rather live in a country where you didn't have any um, say over what's going on but it was a little bit wealthier or would you rather live in a country that you know was run by the people who lived there you know it's it's like the autonomy and freedom versus yeah no no i mean it's the the, i feel like these countries are kind of like toddlers they need a parent <laughs> like would you say america was like a <laughs> like throwing a tantrum like a toddler when they threw the tea in the boston harbor <laughs> and said like fuck you we're gonna run this country the way we want to run <laughs> Yeah, yeah they, I mean, I'd say that they were having their rebellious teenage race. <laughs> it's been going on for a while. And they're the, they're the kid that worked out. <laughs> well, yeah, there's this, um, I don't know if you guys uh, know about this, but there was, a, I can't remember his name, but there was some academic uh, last year or maybe the year before who caused a big stir by... Um, publishing an article in a peer-reviewed paper, which is just a straight, basically, an opinion piece, which is um, considered science in the social sciences. And he wrote, <laughs> he wrote basically an opinion piece backed up by evidence on. Uh, he called it the the case for colonization, and he was arguing why colonization was a good thing and why um, countries have a moral duty to begin colonizing again. And uh, yeah. I'm sure that was well received. Yeah, obviously this <laughs> didn't go down very well in the uh, yeah. academic world and um, yeah, people have been called to have it you know, stripped of its... I, I can definitely see where he's coming from. Like, why was the Roman Empire so successful? Why was you know the, the British Empire so successful? It's because they literally raised the ground beneath them and then set up a new society. And then those people who were, you know, well, initially occupied, became a part of the Roman Empire and they didn't identify themselves as, you know, oh, we used to be whatever. Now they just started, they were the Roman Empire. Yeah, it takes yeah. a generation or two, but then they just... Yeah, yeah. The, I think that's the only real way to affect change in a, in a short span of time, if you know what I mean. Like, I'm also not saying we should do this just so people are clear. I'm just saying I think well, that's, if you want to... Yeah. That's the real question. Do you have the, the right to go in and say to somebody, uh, I can run this place better than you, so I'm taking over and you have to deal no, with it? No, you don't have the right to, but you also don't have the obligation to help right so yeah it's like do you have the right to do it and if you do have the right to do it do you have the responsibility to do it is it a good thing like no. you know if you weigh if you weigh up the pros and cons is it is it good or bad but yeah i, I think you always have to come back to that idea that um yeah. you should what's that quote you should be allies with no nation but trade with all nations or something i think you, yeah. you you shouldn't go into a country and force them to run it in a way that they wouldn't choose you should just trade yeah. with them 
But I, I, I think um, you should, like, a good one is you should only help people who want to help themselves. So if someone comes to you and says, we need help, and they're genuine, they're genuine in their need for help, yes, wait, yeah, waste resources and time. Yeah. No worries, there's no issue there. Trying to force like countries dragging someone to act to a like rehab arson. Clinic. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to work if you do that, drag someone to a rehab clinic. Yeah. They have to go there willingly. It's like one of the first things. I don't know why we don't apply it on a, like a, on a countrywide scale, if you know what I mean, like country scale. Because you can try and force people in, like, again, we're just using Ethiopia as an example. Punching bag. <laughs> yeah, as a punching bag here. But, you know, you can force <laughs> Ethiopia to you try and act like us and, and do all the same stuff we do. But if they don't want to do it, it's not going to work. As soon as you, you know, leave or stop helping them, they just revert back to their old ways like a drug addict. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Starving drug addict. Con- um, yeah, exactly. To, to continue the, the analogy. Yeah. Okay. So, um, we're not, none of us are intelligent enough to be able to critically evaluate whether colonization was good for countries or not, but it certainly increased the standard of living, but it took away mm-hmm. the uh, autonomy, autonomy from the yep. people. So, um, Swings and roundabouts, or what's that? Say? Yeah, whatever, doesn't matter. Um, let's segue into the second topic because <laughs> we covered that one so well. Um, <laughs> of global inequality. So, we're going to briefly discuss the idea of the spaceship Earth. So, George Orwell wrote about this in uh, The Road to Wigan Pier, one of his books. He says, The world is a raft sailing through space with potentially pr- plenty of provisions for everybody. The idea that we must all cooperate and see to it that everybody does his fair share of work and gets his fair share of the provisions seems so blatantly obvious that one would say no one could possibly fail to accept it unless he had some corrupt motive for clinging to the present system. So this idea of the spaceship Earth wasn't invented by Orwell, but I think he explained it the best. So what do you guys Sounded think? a little communist Wow. I, I was going to say, it's interesting to hear Orwell arguing for communism. Yeah. I was going to say, what do you guys think? Are you full-blown commies now? So did he convince <laughs> you? No, incorrect. No. He didn't give it to you. Well, George Orwell yeah. was um, a socialist, and uh, I might have to Google this quickly. Oh. Um, but Socialism is cancer. I'll have to Google this quickly because I don't know when he published The Road to Wigan Pier, 1937. Um, I think he got red-pilled by the Soviet Union. So, um, <laughs> basically, Animal Farm was a critique of the Russian Revolution and um, 1984. Obviously, they didn't really name the government whether it was fascist or communist, but you could make a pretty clear argument that it was a um, followed the um, the rule or the the way that the Soviet Empire acted. So he was definitely not a fan of communism or totalitarianism. Um, but yeah, what he says <laughs> here is very clearly um, socialist, potentially even yep. um, communist. But you know, he he in the road to Wigan Pier, he was writing about the conditions that working class people in uh, England were were working in in the the coal mines and stuff so like i I can forgive him for being a socialist back then because i I don't think you could watch these people go to work and break their backs and um put themselves in a lot of danger without thinking that it's pretty unfair that they have to live like this but um yeah so we're not we're not commies yet but can you can you guys (laughs) can you guys say uh, what your issue is with the spaceship Earth, then? You are not entitled to anything that you have not earned. Brad? Mine, mine would be no borders. Like, uh, the idea that um, your country or whoever, I mean, 
I'm not saying I'm in, again nationalist or whatever, and I mean I don't have the problem with nationalism that <laughs> Lachlan does, but the the idea that uh, you know there'd be one government or something like that that can tell your country what to do when they might not be from your country or understand anything about your country, just like this is what you have to do. you have to produce X resources and it goes to the greater good. Well, in a globalist of... regime, all countries would be the same, Brad. No borders. Yeah, exactly, and I, I don't like that idea. Well, Brad, you you raise a really good point there. It's called the spaceship Earth, not the spaceship um country so it's it's implying that everybody should um share the wealth with the entire world Mm -hmm. not just not just their own um country so yeah um, yeah but uh, i mean well i I mean like if we're like america or someone is um you know fruitful and all that and they're trying to it's like the eu like germany is dragging everyone (laughs) through because every other country is just in absolute deficit and it's like what's in it for germany i don't understand they're doing all the hard hard yards, not having Brad, a shit house they've, economy. They've tried to take over Europe twice. I think we understand why they're trying to take over Europe for a third time. It's not that hard. Yeah, it's just they, lucky they have Merkel in charge, a globalist. I'm just saying, like that, that. That's how I feel about the spaceship Earth. You know, it's like yeah. I, I'll say something a little um, controversial here, but I, I don't think inequality is a problem in and of itself i think it's natural and yeah it's completely unavoidable so that that might sound cold but i mean you have to think about it we're going to have we're going to have inequality in attractiveness intelligence charisma extroversion persuasiveness strength height you know every attribute you can have you're going to have a, a wide variety of um people so it, you can't just simply create an equal society and then any attempt to keep that society equal is going to justify all the worst kinds of means to get you there i mean that's how you end up mm. with holomador and how you stir up resentment and hatred and convince people that theft and murder is not only morally acceptable but it's their righteous duty and they should do it it's <laughs> like no i'm serious like it appeals to the darker side of human nature and it's especially dangerous because it always starts mm. from an argument of compassion but then that compassion hides the deeper underlying resentment and envy yeah i think you're right and even if you say everyone did, did their job or whatever got paid the same amount that's people would still find some inequality like you said like they, they would you would find something to complain about it's i think it's a human condition to not enjoy your lot in life if you see someone else with something better than you well if everybody for whatever reason if everybody in the world has the exact same amount of money like mm. who's going to have a hotter wife brad pitt or danny devito you know exactly like, yeah and then yeah. they're they're unequal in height and attractiveness so it's like that it's not like danny devito is going to be like i have the exact same money as brad pitt so i'm not jealous of him at all like there are still things you're going to be um envious of other people in order to create this perfectly equal society like someone's going to be oppressed yeah what do you mean well no i i I don't know about that what does that mean well you're you're to for everything to be perfectly equal you're going to have to oppress or disadvantage the people who are born with natural advantages right have you read um harrison bertrand no that's the that's the story about that that the um stronger people have to have weights on them to make them they can't pick up as much you know they're not as yeah and um smart people have to have their intelligence reduced have a lobotomy yeah it's it's trying to force (laughs) (laughs) it's trying to force uh, equality in a lot of other ways and i think you know this spaceship earth i think you could make a pretty good case for it if we were the last generation and the world was about to end um Mm. but not not long term because i think the well, like Margaret, Margaret Thatcher said, the, the problem with socialism is that you 
eventually run out of other people's money. I don't think <laughs> <laughs> I don't think socialists seem to understand how wealth is created and what motivates innovation. And I don't think they like that mm. capitalism works because it's unfeeling and it doesn't come from a place of compassion like socialism. I, I don't works. think you can I don't think you can be a socialist if you understand how economics work. <laughs> <laughs> well You're yeah I pretty spot on. I think I think the best way to it, so if we have any socialist listeners or if you get into an argument with a socialist Eat I, a think, dick. <laughs> I think the I think the best <laughs> I think the best way to explain it in a like a simple way is that um like when you have a free market every single transaction is positive sum like everybody comes out on top every time there's a transaction like if Lachlan agrees to fix my computer for $50 then I've decided that having a fixed computer is more valuable to me than $50 and Lachlan's decided that the $50 is more valuable to him than the time and effort it takes him to fix it so we're both in a better position after the trade we've mm. both got something that we value more than what we had so that's how You've well clearly never been to a strip club <laughs> Well, that's how wealth is created in capitalism. There's billions and billions of small-scale, positive-sum transactions of goods and labor. And in socialism, you can't allow the price system to operate freely like that. So transactions aren't guaranteed to be positive-sum. And if if your top-down system is designed poorly, then more transactions than not are going to be negative-sum. And that that makes shit hit the fan really quick. Mm, uh, Yes. Yes. Do you agree? The other problem with with, uh, Spaceship Earth is the scale. Um, I've, I've, I've told you guys this before. Socialism, and I suppose by extension communism, doesn't work on a large scale. On a small scale, if it were actually a spaceship with like maybe a few hundred people on it, then yes, it makes sense to share all the resources and share the labor and everything. Everything's equal. But on, on such a large scale, um, I mean, someone's someone's got to distribute everything. Someone's got to be in charge of distributing everything. And the, the nature of the human race, inherently, there's going to be corruption somewhere in the chat that you're not going to distribute things fairly exactly yeah, yeah well I think, maybe maybe mm. you give your you give your family you know an extra block of chocolate or whatever yeah and i think um, you know adam smith wrote about the invisible hand of capitalism that things just organize themselves naturally because that that's how the free market operates that if somebody wants something someone else will provide it because that's how the yeah. supply and demand uh interact with each other and when you're doing socialism you're at the top and you're looking down and you have to decide everything that's going to happen is central planning and yeah like you said Lachlan the, the bigger the scale is for the central planning the the more chance you have to fuck it up but if you let everything run in microtransactions around then you know if if some of those microtransactions fuck up that's not a big deal and people it doesn't affect the rest of the chain exactly people will learn from them and do things differently next time people who are watching it will do things differently but if you're doing a top-down system where you're deciding everything for everybody you can do it right and then you can do it right the next year and then you fuck it up the year after and that's it like you can't you have to get it right every every single time and mm. uh no one can uh really do that so that's that's the basics of why i don't think socialism works but i'm i'm not the mm. um i'm not the expert so it's the strip club paradox what's the strip club paradox Brad? Can you explain it seems it great <laughs> it seems great at the time but then when you wake up the next day with no money and no no way to get food <laughs> you're absolutely fine <laughs> Do you know what a paradox is, bro? <laughs> no, it just sounded cool. Yeah, it's okay. like time vampires. <laughs> you should have called it the strip club quandary. <laughs> oh, what would you have gone with? So you name it then, mate. Quandary. Quandary? That's what I can say. It sounds lame. 
Right, let's move on to topic uh, number three. Uh, and if if you are a socialist listener and you think we've totally fucked that all up, then um, make your own podcast. <laughs> 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 no, no, like uh, uh, messages and stuff. I, I just can't see how it's defensible. We will be happy to explain why you are wrong. Yes, correct. Right, Locked topic number three, sustainability. Brad, is the world overpopulated? Uh, I would say that it's not overpopulated. I think we're resource inefficient. <laughs> I like that. Lachlan, do you think the world's overpopulated? Uh, I do, and the way Brad just said it is exactly the same answer, basically, because we have finite resources. No, yeah, he's saying we're being inefficient with them. With, with them, yeah. Ah, oh, okay. Not yeah. not resource deficient. Resource deficient. <laughs> I said inefficient. <laughs> All right. I can see why you uh, laughed then, because, yeah, that would be the same. Resource division. Okay. Uh, Yes, I do do think the world is overpopulated. So, Lachlan, um, why don't you kill yourself? (laughs) Uh, Don't want to. I mean, my house isn't overpopulated. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm more like like India, China, those kind of places. Mr. Uh, push the button on the box because the world's overpopulated. I was going to say, do you reckon it'll ever get to the point where some third world country's population is actually threatening livelihoods in America or the Western world and that they decide they want to just glass India or China? Oh, God. (laughs) No. You don't think we'll ever get to that point? I don't think we'll get to the point where a Western country decides to nuke an Eastern country simply because it's overpopulated, no. Okay. I think that's the inevitable end goal, to be fair. <laughs> I agree with Lachlan here. Uh, <laughs> so, Lachlan, um, <laughs> this probably answers the second question. I was going to say, is it ethical to have children? But you are saying that your house is not overpopulated, so you having a little yep. uh, baby last year, that was not unethical. Well, <laughs> some of the things I did to create that day could be argued to be unethical. <laughs> Uh, but but the actual the actual birthing of the child was not unethical though. <laughs> Holy fuck! Um, <laughs> oh my god! Well, um, okay. So the world the world is overpopulated. Harrison, if you're listening to this, turn it off. These <laughs> friends are going to play him this at like high school or something. Like that. Uh, <laughs> oh, <poor> kid. <laughs> Um, okay. Um, Brad, is it ethical to have children? Um, is it ethical? Yeah, it's ethical. I think it's pretty much what you're Is it ethical for brown people to have children? That's the real question you want to get at, isn't (laughs) it, That's coming out. You racist. (laughs) (laughs) It is. All right, these are my answers. Uh, the world is not overpopulated and, uh, Mm. it is not unethical to have children. (laughs) Would you, would you agree though that our, like the, the global birth rate is, it's unsustainable. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think we it, can't keep we can't keep breeding at this exponential rate. No, I think everything is uh, relative, and if you can find more efficient ways to use resources, then those resources will last for longer. Obviously, if we're talking billions of years into the future, there is going to be a point where the birth rate will have to be at replacement level or lower for um, continuation. But I don't think we're anywhere close to that. I think all throughout human history, people have thought, oh, the world's overpopulated. We couldn't possibly deal with more people in it. And then Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, we figured out yellow rice. Or what what is that thing? What's that really? Is that it? Whatever. You know that bit? I think it's yellow rice. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, whatever it was. But yeah, at that stage, there was like a billion people on the planet, and they're like, oh, you know, this is the absolute max. There's going to be a huge, yeah. And now we got seven billion. So I think it's it's all relative. Look at the size of Australia, by the way. Like, even yeah. if you only fill up the coast, if you had another Melbourne every two hundred kilometers on the coast around Australia, we'd have you know huge. We could sustain a huge, huge we could, yeah. population. The uh, the ideal world population, according to the New World Order, uh, is. <laughs> Five hundred million. Five hundred million. Five hundred million is the maximum population that this world can sustain, according Man. to the new world order. That is just incorrect. That's why they're trying to. That's why they're trying to get us all to stop breathing, putting uh, chemicals in the water, uh, uh, um, down in the frogs' game, down in the frogs' game. Yeah. That's um, why they're pushing the uh, the gay agenda. I think one thing that. <laughs> Can I have so much stuff to cut out? I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. I'm all for you put whatever you want in. I voted yes. I voted yes. I did vote yes. That's true. Oh, God. It's going to be so much to cut out here. All right. So, this is the next question. Is the world overpopulated? Is it ethical to have children? Question number three. Bradley, is it immoral mm. not to recycle? Is it immoral not to recycle? Yeah, if you create more waste than necessary, is that immoral? Mm. Is it a moral issue at all, actually? I don't think it's a moral issue. I just think it's a, it's just common sense. Like, if there's a way for us to reuse a resource, why not do it? I don't think it's immoral if you you know have a plastic thing and you throw it in a regular garbage bin. I don't think you're going to hell or you're a bad person. I just think that it's common sense. Like, we can reuse this resource why not cool yeah, yeah that's my opinion um i'd like to use this platform to point out that the council that runs the shire where i live the golden plan shire council oh, i've uh, seen you bitching about this on as facebook of- as of uh, about a month ago, I think, has been sending all of our recycling to landfill. Uh, so anything that anyone in this shire recycles just gets taken to the landfill anyway. Doesn't get recycled. Oh, that's a scandal! Yeah. That's a huge scandal. What's happening? Yeah, to they them? haven't they haven't told anyone either. That is they, they said how, do you know? how do you know? How do you know? What do you got the inside They're... scoop? They haven't told anyone. <laughs> you followed the truck. <laughs> No, there was a there was a group a group formed uh, to discuss our waste management issues with the council, and one of the things that came out of the meeting was that uh, uh, our recycling contract is expiring and it's not cost efficient to continue. So all recycling will be going to landfill. Holy fuck! Yeah. Uh, anyway, to actually answer your question, um, I think we have a moral obligation to recycle. Yes. Ooh. Yeah, I I agree with that. I, I remember I watched an episode of um, Penatella's bullshit. Uh, a few years ago and they made the argument that um recycling is not worth doing <laughs> that there's plenty of room for landfill and there's plenty of resources so there's no issue with not recycling i don't know if they've revised their position on that but i remember watching that episode and being like really though i don't think it's an issue of not having room for landfill or yeah, not yeah, having yeah. room for resources mm. it's just if you've got something that you can reuse why not reuse it yeah like i said i like, think it's like common Brad sense said. yeah brad mm. has common sense for once um there's <laughs> <laughs> The well, only I mean, the only argument not to recycle is laziness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I we, I think people are lazy sometimes. Like if I can't find a recycling bin, and I'm, I don't want to carry shit around. Like, yeah, I'm sure Brad's a big yeah. proponent of laziness. Yeah, I'm a massive fan <laughs> of it. Fuck you guys. Um, but you know what I mean. Like I'm not. 
you're not a bad person if you know every now and then you don't have, you can't find somewhere to recycle something, so you just throw it out. That's why I don't think it's a moral issue. I think it's just a, a common sense thing. But you wouldn't say someone's being immoral if they're littering all the time and they're buying. No, I say they're an idiot. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't think that they're a bad person just because of that. They're just a fucking moron. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my my take is that we'll we'll um we'll have to change to renewable energies eventually, either for the health of the planet mm. or just because we eventually will run out. Um, or we just don't want to give Saudis money anymore. We need so. more dinosaurs to die. Exactly. <laughs> 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 so the graveyards will... of today are the oil fields of tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so we don't you should work in marketing, Brad. Yeah, I should actually. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah. In the meantime, though, we have to change the way we interact with uh, plastics and single-use products. Like you, you can't just refuse to change your habits um, with that sort of stuff. You know, change needs to come from the bottom up, not the top down. It's not about getting the government to enforce things. Like the, there has to actually be a change in the way individuals deal with um, plastic and single-use products hmm. i think we should um adopt a philosophy like we had uh in you know like early 1900s through to sort of 50s or 60s where we were building stuff that was designed to last like cars everything they you can find machinery from that those times. so stop the planned obsolescence yeah planned obsolescence is a joke i don't know whoever came up with it but it was a brilliant piece of <laughs> someone money. in sales I'm yeah sure. yeah brilliant piece of money making but it, it's ridiculous when you when you think about how cheap and shit and most of the shit we use in our life is yeah, like there has to be some things yeah yeah for convenience some some things have to be you know renewable like technologies and stuff like that but you know the other stuff in our lives that shouldn't be shitty and cheap and one-time use it shouldn't be like it just makes sense for it not to be. the reason that they're so shitty and cheap and one-time use is because they're made of cheaper materials but mm. it's what makes them so cheap if you're building things to last longer they're going to cost more yeah, exactly but it should be a one-time cost that lasts for a long time as opposed to small like a cut the uh, death by a thousand cuts you know yeah I mean? exactly buy, buy good stuff that'll last you know. yeah exactly i yeah, try to buy that already more quality stuff when i buy shit stuff that's gonna last longer but i mean i'm also guilty of buying cheap furniture because is that is that cheap. a problem of uh supply though or is that a problem for demand people want cheaper stuff yeah i know and i think that we need to change the way we think about stuff like we we didn't always think like this like people oh. would be proud of a piece of furniture to pass it through from family member to family do member. your part We're not anymore. only buy expensive stuff yeah well, i try to but i'm just saying that We're, i'm also right, guilty of buying solved. cheap super amart <laughs> fucking shit cheap super amart furniture which i will destroy when I move out of this house. <laughs> I helped you assemble your yes. uh, desk and bookshelf, and uh, yeah, it's not—it's not real quality. Yeah, it's not something I'm going to leave to my kids, is it? And I'm but guilty you got of the doing the whole it. lot for like two hundred bucks or something. So, yes, I know. did. I got a desk and everything, and a chair for like two hundred bucks. It was—I'll keep the chair, the desk, and that. I just—but that's what I mean. Like it's. Hi, Brad, I'd love to uh, discuss your furniture um, for all our friends. <laughs> it was—I was lending a lot to longer, my point. but let's let's move on. Um, let's yeah. let's look into a crystal ball. And imagine that climate change does indeed destroy the planet and causes uh, the death of literally billions of people. Human uh, species is extinct and we wipe out most animal species. Would you say that we were acting unethically because we knew about climate change and didn't act in time? So basically, do we have a moral responsibility to all life on Earth not to destroy the planet? (laughs) 
Brett? <laughs> um, yeah, I think we, we do have a moral responsibility not to destroy the planet. I just, well, I think you need someone to come up with a way for everyone not to destroy the planet. Like, at the moment, there's no consensus on how we don't destroy the planet. I don't think we have a moral obligation not to destroy the planet. Ooh. Ooh, is that? Please, defend yourself. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I can defend myself, but I'll exp- like I. I think this this probably people are probably going to be annoyed at me. But if you tell me that the entire human race is about to be wiped out, um, and it's up to me whether the animals come along with us or they get to live on the planet by themselves without humans anymore, I'd go like I don't give a fuck. Flip a coin doesn't doesn't bother me. <laughs> like I I honestly don't care if the entire if if the humans aren't on it. I don't care if the entire world burns and i don't even know if like the animals would want to live in a way like you ask the gazelle what about all the what about all the cute puppies and stuff <laughs> they're gonna get eaten by lions and <laughs> stuff, kill all them. no they're not yeah, all those lions oh, in australia packs. i don't they'll know I think, packs and they'll uh they'll hunt other animals i think um yeah it, it just it wouldn't bother me and uh, i'm just gonna look up a uh, quote here so i can sound smart um yeah, okay. and of course stole for time <laughs> <laughs> As everybody knows, Socrates said, you know, the unexamined <laughs> The unexamined life is not worth living and animals can't examine themselves, so it's not worth living. Fuck him. I don't care. It's very callous of you. That was man, especially considering you only send exclusively send me Snapchats of you eating eggs or dogs. So I don't eat dogs. For a dog lover, that's a, Yeah. <laughs> I think you mean, I didn't eating, mean eating dogs or, yeah. you know, hanging out with Pictures dogs. of dogs, yes. Feeding yeah. them <laughs> eggs. I feed dogs eggs. I don't eat dogs. No, I don't, uh, I don't give them eggs. Yeah, for somebody who loves dogs so much, that was pretty cold, man. No, it's just like, if we're not here, what's the point? I don't care. Fuck them. Yeah, like I said, pretty cold. All right. Well, I would, I would choose for the dogs to inherit the earth. <laughs> you fucking would. Brad would choose for the cats to inherit the earth. Yeah. I just... Is there an like option for Brad to cat. kill only the dogs? <laughs> Could you imagine how cold the world would be? I don't hate dogs, goddammit. You guys bring this up all the I don't hate dogs, alright? Well, you love cats, so by default you hate no, dogs. No, I, I prefer cats. It, you funnier. can't sit on the fence, Brad, that's one or the other. <sighs> this isn't some fucking gender non-conforming, non-binary <laughs> scale. This is, it's you know, you're male or female. Dog or oh. cat. Jeez, yeah, well, all, all dogs are male, all cats are female. Correct. All right, Lachlan, do, <laughs> do we have a moral responsibility to all life on Earth not to destroy the planet? Uh, yes. Cool. All right, let's move on. All right, this, we got one one more topic, or, you know, technically two. We'll see how we go for time. But uh, we're going to introduce this one with uh, Morgan's movie review. So let's oh, get excited. Yeah. Uh, we're running on a short on time. We should probably just uh, cut this then, you know. This is the most important <laughs> part of the podcast. Um... <laughs> This uh, this week I watched a poignant film about two best friends who discover that their business has been using child labor without their consent. Even worse, this information is used to blackmail them into abandoning their principles. Basketball, made in 1998. <laughs> Basketball, made in 1998, is a great film which does not let its comedy get in the way of its morality. It's a film about valuing your friends, staying true to your principles, and telling the truth. Sure, the filmmakers had to throw in some lowbrow jokes to appeal to a wider audience, but <laughs> this movie is more than just a wacky comedy. On the other hand, Basketball does an excellent job at being a wacky comedy as well. 
This should come as no surprise, considering it stars the creators of South Park and was written and directed by David Zucker. So if you're a fan of South Park or Zucker's earlier classics, such as The Naked Gun or Airplane, then this is the perfect movie for you. It is endlessly quotable, highly satirical, and the countless sight gags reward you for repeated viewings. 10 out of 10, try to find a flaw. Do it. Email me and I'll tell you why you're wrong. It's a perfect movie. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez, that was aggressive, man. (laughs) It was an excellent choice, I'll though. I, I do. It has a strong child labor theme, so I'm, I'm glad that we we brought this up. <laughs> it gets to the the um, <laughs> the child labor factory in Calcutta, and the hard hats yeah. look like turbans. <laughs> 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 um, okay, Brad. Let's imagine you're the supreme dictator of the world, and you notice that a factory mm-hmm. in Bangladesh is using child labor. Do you shut the factory mm-hmm. down? I encourage it. <laughs> Um, no, well, what's wrong with working children? I mean, school's for suckers. <laughs> uh, okay. what's, a, what's a uni education going to do for a kid in Calcutta? Like, honestly. You don't think kids should be kids and shouldn't have to worry about, you know, making their shoes and stuff? Come on, Brad. Hey, if you want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, to be fair, I uh, obviously... You don't want small, small children working unless you need somewhere with them to get into somewhere with tight spaces. <laughs> and, but, um, <laughs> like, no, nah, you know what? Yeah, let kids be kids. You know, once they're adults, you know, work them to death. But um, Ah, he's fallen for your trap, Mogs. I probably have. So you you would shut this factory down if you were a supreme dictator? Uh, Let's say it had 12-year-olds in it, Brad. 12-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Um, where is it located in the world? Bangladesh. Bangladesh, okay. Uh, no, I probably wouldn't, to be fair. Ah, fine. Right. Yeah. No, well, I mean, because, okay, so this is, this is what I, I heard somewhere from a, um, a, I was, I was watching a YouTube video, I think it was. Um, countries like third world countries need to ratchet their way up in, in as far as, um, their economies go. And, and, you know, that factory worker, he's 12 year old, you know, he feeds himself, he, he has a, a place to stay, whatever. Um, you know, he gets a bit older and then he might be the factory manager and he's learning a new skill and, he, you know, over generations, their, their economy ratchets up and then, you know, his kids might be going to university and then, you know, they're improving infrastructure. And I mean, it's like how South Korea and North Korea started at the same point And now you look down the track, you know, 60, 70 years, Korea's North, uh, South Korea has ratcheted up slowly. It's one of the tech hubs of the world. Um, but they started at the same shitty point and North Korea is, you know, people are starving to death. That's sort of how I see it. Anyway. You don't think that's more of an issue of uh, governmental mismanagement? Absolutely, as well. But I'm just saying, like, people have got to eat in these countries and the, the best way for that to, over generations is to ratchet up slowly. You can't just have wealth overnight. Like, it doesn't work. So I think what you're saying, Brad, is that there there is a... To, from a third world country to a first world country, there's a progression that you need to go through and you can't really yes. skip the steps no you can't so child labor is unfortunately one uh, of those steps a necessary uh, what do they call it necessary uh, evil evil necessity necessary yeah. evil evil necessity <laughs> <laughs> but basically yeah that kid gets fed that kid has a house and that kid doesn't die even though it's horrible that a 12 year old has to work that's that's it's a necessary evil yeah thing. right so Lachlan and I were talking about this and like it's it's sad but it, the only way to increase the uh, the only way to fix this is to increase the standard of living in a country because yeah. families don't just send their kids to work if they don't have to like if, if a kid's exactly. working in a factory it's because the family's desperate for the money so if you if you say well they hate that fucking kid <laughs> <laughs> if you say no more kids can work 
then maybe that family doesn't have enough money to pay rent or get food or something mm. like that. So it, it's like no, no one's taking advantage of the lax laws and trying to get an extra few dollars in their pocket because they are money hungry. Like they're doing it because they absolutely have to. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, as, as we've said before, it's it's hard to increase the economic growth of a country. So I think the the only way to do it is to let them increase it themselves. And if they have child, child labor in the meantime, that's... It sucks, but I mean, fuck, like the Western world went through this as well. It's just that there was mm. no, there was no part of the world above the West in terms of yeah. technology and economic growth to look back, look down on the West and go, oh, those poor people, like we need to help them. It was just like, yeah, yeah, we, we, our countries had to, to go through it and there was no one mm. to. We'd been born in the late 1800s or something. We would have been chimney sweeps as children or some shit. We got, would have got the black lung. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it, <laughs> child, child labor is, a symptom of a much larger problem and yeah. you you can't just fix the symptoms you have to fix uh you got to cure the disease yeah oh. and the disease is better economy like yeah, shit economy is always okay <laughs> yeah like no, it, just, yeah. i thought that was pretty obvious like well, we we don't want to just... we don't want to sound callous here. Like it it's fucking mm. rough, and it would be really nice to just think it's bad, so I don't support it. Let's pressure the governments to outlaw this and refuse to buy the products and stuff. But that that doesn't solve the problem. It's like I don't we don't really know how to fix it, but it's it's just to... what are they what are they gonna do for money if you take their child labor? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. not they're like gonna sell their kids. They're gonna I don't think they're um, gonna have to start let's... working on the black market, maybe even working in prostitution or something, which is horrible. Like. If if you take a kid yeah, or out sell of sell their kids into slavery or something. If you yeah, if well, you did, take a kid out of a factory, it's not going it, like the kid's not gonna go to school the next day. Like they still need that money. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm serious. Like they're not. Yeah. They're no, not, no, no, I agree with you. I think like uh, the only people who really complain about it are people in the Western world. Like that's the the thing. It's like the the kids themselves. They're like, I get food. They're not thinking. Oh, look, yeah, I'm they're sure not like, they oh, I don't. I'm sure I don't, they don't love going to work in a factory. No, no, but they're not like, oh, I don't have the latest iPhone. They're like, well, they oh, probably got, do. Got, they just steal it from the factory that uh, they work in. <laughs> well, <laughs> hard to argue with. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, they're not like, oh, I don't have the latest iPhone. I don't have this. They're like, I have food tonight. And their priorities are completely different to our priority. Yeah, their priority is survival. It's survival, yeah. They so, don't have the luxury of worrying about, you know, whether they got nice hmm. clothes or I'm not good saying it's wrong to feel bad for them. I just think that you can, you don't have to be a dick about it and take their job away. <laughs> Well, that was that was something that happened in um, basketball. Is just he employed um, adults to work in the factory, but it it wasn't clear. And you know, this movie is obviously to be taken with one hundred percent sincerity. So um, it wasn't clear if the people hired were related to the children, if they were going to support the children. But uh, it, mm. it, it didn't make it clear if those children were just uh, fired from their jobs and sent onto the streets like <laughs> so yeah i don't know a bit uh morally ambiguous from the um for a movie that's like david zucker there but yeah a gaping floor that, that was the one one tiny criticism the other positive as well from the business owner's perspective <laughs> is that kids will work for cheaper and they're not going to unionize they're not smart enough to unionize so you know you got no uh you got no labor force issues there could you imagine a union full of twelve-year-olds? <laughs> what, what are your demands? Afternoon naps, less timeouts. <laughs> we want red cordial in the break room. <laughs> None of this yellow shit. Uh, everyone fucking hates fruit cup. 
Prude Cup is the worst. It is. It's just the the leftover dregs what of everything else. What even is it? What even? What flavor is it? You it's the dregs of cup. everything it else mixed into like anything. a bottle. It's just fucking depression in a bottle. It's like the dim sim of the cordial world. Morgs, how do you feel about fucking? How do you feel about Fruit Cup? Lime cordial is the one and only cordial for Morgs. <laughs> <laughs> True cordial. <laughs> would you, I won't. I won't, uh, I won't disagree with that. I like lime cordial. Would um? Cordial. Would you guys rather be as a child? Would you rather be in school with fruit cup or in a factory with lime? <laughs> oh, uh, factory with factory lime. all day. Yeah. Making bank as well. Come on. <laughs> Just oh fat stacks. <laughs> Learning a skill, you know, <laughs> yeah. getting my name out there, mm. developing my uh, workplace reputation. Uh, mm. There's no downside, really. Okay, so um, let's finish up with um, John Rawls' Veil of Ignorance. So John Rawls wrote about this extensively in A Theory of Justice, and the idea is that you have uh, you have to create a new social contract for society, but you are doing so before you know what position you will take in society. So you're behind a veil of ignorance, as he calls it, which hides mm-hmm. your ethnicity, your sex, your religion, your wealth, position in society, even even things like your intelligence, your abilities, your interests and proclivities. Um, so how would you create the social contract knowing nothing about the position you would find yourself in when the veil is lifted? Brad, would you create a super unequal and unfair society with the hopes that you'd luck out and land yourself in a good position, risk it all to be Uday Hussein, for example? you got to yeah. risk it to get the biscuit. Mate, I'm going to roll that dice every time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, the system we've got now is imperfect, but it's the best system. I wouldn't, you know, make everyone equal and, oh, God, that would be so AIDS. Um <laughs> Like it's the only way that I can describe it. It would be terrible. No, it would be a slow, you, painful death. You can do you can do whatever you want. Would you create a society where you have like a very small uh ring of influence and those people are super powerful and super rich and can do whatever the fuck they want, like um Saddam Hussein and his uh crazy son Uday Hussein and hope that you became Uday, or would you would you create a more egalitarian society? No, I just said I'd roll with the society we've got now. Which oh, so is you wouldn't change anything? You're no, making I wouldn't exactly change anything. the same. Yes. <laughs> okay. Look, that's boring. I said it's it's imperfect, but it's the best system, best example of it. I actually like that answer, Brad. That's a very yeah. that's like a, a humble answer. It's like saying I'm not I'm not a fucking genius. I'm not going to fix the world's yeah, problems. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm pretty happy with it how could everything be a, works now. I like it, Brad. You're saying like it could be a lot worse, so I'm not going to hmm. fuck anything up because I could. Yeah, I could it. absolutely fuck it up a lot worse trying to <laughs> trying to make it better right, aka okay, socialism or communism do you want to take a stab at it what would you, what would you i do? would uh i would smash the fash <laughs> uh <laughs> ban the fed uh no i would i i would recreate the world as a perfect utopian libertarian society mm. uh the government would only be in charge of border defense and uh you know the police and the courts uh, maybe maybe all emergency services yeah and the courts the night watchman state i think it's called lachlan um you've probably never had anybody bring out this objection to you and i just came up with it and i think it's a really good objection who's gonna build the roads <laughs> uh <laughs> That is a good question. Everybody out there should Google believe, that. Everybody should. I can't believe no libertarian has ever thought of uh, how we'll tackle that problem. Everyone should uh, Google yeah, everyone, how, how... Everyone Google who will build the roads. <laughs> it's good fun. Uh, um, 
So, Lachlan, you would you would basically create Ancapistan. Not look, it's not full on anarcho capitalism because there is still a state, um, and we would still have national borders, that sort of thing. Um, but I I believe that libertarianism is the closest thing you can get to real equality. It's equality of opportunity for everyone, basically. Hmm. I like it. Um, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think I Sounds think that's nice. the way to do it. I think you you. A society where everybody is treated as an individual and is able to yes. move up yes. through the ranks. I think the most dangerous thing you can have in a society is low-status men feeling that there's no way they can improve their lot in life. That's that's yeah. how you get some really um, violent... Yeah, civil wars and <laughs> I think a really Rwanda good... 2.0. For, for anyone, any of our listeners not understanding the... Uh, the veil of ignorance um, quite fully. I think a good, very simple example is something that a lot of parents do if they have uh, like two kids who have to share something, like if they're sharing a piece of cake or something. Right, One person cuts it, the other person chooses which piece they get. Ooh. So you, the the person cutting it, they can't just say, oh, I'm cutting it and I'm going to make your piece tiny and my piece huge. They've got to they've got to try and divide it as equally as possible, basically, because the that's the best outcome for them. Do you know when you when you study mathematics in university, you can do um, decision making and game theory, and you can actually mm. play that game in a really selfish way. So that's something we okay. that's something we did in class, like how how people rank things according to values, and then how you split it up in order that your values maximize no matter what the other person does. So if you have a donut and that's half chocolate, half strawberry, and you know the other person doesn't like strawberry, you just cut off the end. <laughs> You cut off a tiny bit of chocolate and that's it. And they're going to, oh, well, you cut off, sorry, slightly more than half the chocolate and mm. they're going to cut that. So you basically get three quarters of it. Yeah. I was I was thinking more, uh, <laughs> I was thinking more like, you know, one piece of cake, not different flavors. Like you both like it equally, but there's always a grift. I'll get there. Um, <laughs> there's always a grift. <laughs> oh, um, like, Right. Well, yeah. I, so my my ideal society, and I like Brad's answer, so I might change to that later. But um, my ideal society is that one where everybody has the opportunity to move up. So you have total equality of uh, opportunity, and mm. if if inequality arises from that, that's okay as long as everybody legitimately has the same um, chance. But I, I really like this. Sounds like capitalism to me. Yeah, full full on capitalism. But I I think I would like this um, veil of ignorance because I think it it's funny because people use it to argue for full on communism and then some people argue for full on capitalism. So it's great like that. <laughs> it's like a Rorschach test for it works either way. Yeah, it's like yeah. a Rorschach test for how you like your economy. Like either people go full equality or full freedom. So like, is a utopia a place where everyone's equal or is it a place where everybody is free? Libertarianism brings both. <laughs> The perfect political ideology. No, do you, do you want equality of outcome or do you want everybody to have freedom and all the gritty stuff that comes along with freedom, all the not Everyone nice Everyone being equal nice. doesn't mean equality of outcome. Everyone being equal means equality of opportunity. No, that's what I'm, that's what can, I'm saying. You with... can absolutely squander your opportunity. It doesn't mean you're any less equal than uh, yeah, anyone yeah. else. But that's yeah. what I'm saying. People... Just because you don't do anything with your life doesn't mean you're a duck and not a pig. <laughs> You know, some animals are more equal than others. Oh, nice reference, brother. Um, no, but I'm saying people use this veil of ignorance to argue for full-on communism. They're saying, like, I yeah. don't want to be the uh, destitute homeless person, so the, the only yeah. way that I can guarantee that I'm not going to be that person when the veil is list- lifted is for everybody to have equal wealth. So that's why yeah. they're talking Sounds about- like they don't want to work very hard. Yes, exactly. <laughs> 
Sounds uh, like they call me scum. <laughs> okay, thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. And remember, taxes are the prices we pay to live in a civilized society. Um, good no, night. Taxation is theft. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>